the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Derek Taylor, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Greg Mackling, yours truly, with you on the Blue Bomber podcast. And Derek Taylor, I know in the pregame show, I suggested that the Blue Bombers would give up more points in the game last Friday night against Hamilton than they would like to. They gave up 31. They scored 42 of their own. But I would suggest it wasn't exactly correct because the way Hamilton got the points, certainly not on the defense and certainly not courtesy the play of Bo Levi Mitchell. Yeah, I find it really deceiving. And I said it to Doug Brown in the post game and still today it takes a minute to register. Yeah. The score is 42 31. Oh, the defense must've been this, but no, like blocked punt for a touchdown. So that's on special teams. Kalaris fumbles for return for a touchdown. So that's on the offense and Janarian Grant fumbles. It would have, it was put into the end zone by a two-yard run by against the Winnipeg's defense, but that's really on the special teams as well. So 21 of those points, uh, I think it was 21. It might have been 20. Ah, whatever. There was a two-point convert in there. Three of those touchdowns were somewhere else, really. So the defense is responsible for maybe 10 of those points. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was. It was. It, it was a good performance. But then I think, uh, GMAC, you and I also remember there were a few times where there were Hamilton receivers running alone behind Winnipeg defenders and, and Bo Levi Mitchell just missed them. So you feel, okay, good. They held essentially Hamilton's offense down, but it was narrow misses that allowed them to hold them down. And that may, that damn may break, let's say. So yeah, I it's, I'm comfortable, but not comfortably comfortable if that means anything. Uh, that means uh, a lot. I understand exactly what you're trying to say and all that uh, mishity mush gobbledygook that uh, you're sharing with us. But Derek, uh, the like, could things have gone any more interestingly for the Blue Bombers? Their first drive, their first offensive play of the game is a fumble by Nick Dembski. And so, you know, yours truly, you know how I am superstition-wise. I'm going, oh yeah, these odd things that happen on the way to a coronation. No, no. Bomber defense, Demario Houston comes up with an interception. I think the Bombers lost net nine yards on that exchange of turnovers. And then all Zach Claros went out and did in the first quarter, nine of 11, 189 yards, three touchdowns, and the Blue Bombers had the ball for 11 minutes and 42 seconds. And based on what I saw from the Blue Bombers in that one quarter alone and what I saw in the other three games this weekend, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are head and shoulders above every other offense in the CFL. Uh, 100% agreed. Like It's not even close. And I mean, what you put out there was, hey, Kalaris threw for almost 200 in the first quarter. They had, didn't have anything in the run game because they they appeared to, to feel like we're just going to attack with the air and through the air because we can get there. And then by the end of the game, the running game came back around and, and contributed as well. And Brady Oliveira finished with 180 yards from scrimmage. And you go, oh, there's also that club in the bag. Oh, okay. Um, it, it was for 60 minutes exactly what I thought it was going to be. I thought this was the best offense in the league. I thought it was the best receiving core in the league, and I thought it was the best offense in the league. And they very clearly separated themselves from, I mean, BC is is the closest, and even they didn't look real impressive uh, in that win over over a really, mm, 
uncomfortable Calgary team. Yeah, it was. It was. It shows why that the gamblers had put out that. Hey, by the way, Winnipeg, the overwhelming favorite to win the Grey Cup, and everybody else is at least four and five to one because, yeah, <laughs> that offense and didn't even have Kenny Lawler of all things, right? Uh, Kenny Lawler would give them, you know. Uh, another elite receiving option to play with. So yeah, it was, it was a true joy to watch. Kolaris is unlike almost every other quarterback in the league. Bo would, would miss guys on deep balls. He lays one up that Nick Dembski can make, make a tough leaping over the shoulder catch, but it's either that it's either he makes a catch or it goes out of bounds incomplete, right? It wasn't in harm's way hitting those deep balls. So that's uh that's pretty nice if you're a Bomber fan. Okay, so two things I want to touch on quickly before we get on to looking ahead to this week versus Saskatchewan, and that's the play of the defensive line. Jackson Jeffcoat didn't play a ton, so there's a concern there. I'm wondering if you've got some inside information. And the overall play of the D-line on Friday night against Hamilton, they did get some pressures, and Willie Jefferson, uh, star power uh, on and off the field, really did a job in a couple of different circumstances and and highlighted why he is as feared as he is by those on the other side of the ball. Yeah, Jackson Jeffcoat, the last thing he did on the field was to uh, beat the right tackle to force a quarterback pressure on Bo, which got him to scramble out to the left and throw that interception that you mentioned to Demario Houston. And that was the last play he was a part of. That was the first quarter. And during the game, we were hypothesizing, oh, were they just giving him some time off? No, I mean, he... He must have done something on that play. There's nothing obvious that I saw because he walks over to Demario Houston. You see him and, hey, part of the celebrations of it. So there was nothing obvious, which makes me think whatever was nagging him in training camp is just nagging him still. Uh, He missed practice. He was limited in practice, let's say that, uh, two days before the game. So it was, who is he going to be able to play? He was able to play, but not for too terribly long. Had an impact when he did, but then it was Celestin Habas uh, turn to go in there and make ultimately one of the big plays of the game. And Willie Jefferson wasn't a CFL All-Star last year, and and I, I got it. I, I didn't have him on my final All-Star ballot for the league because he had, what was it, seven sacks, and when I went back through it, he got a lot of his his sacks, his pressures by my count in garbage time when the Bombers were were leading late. He would put a you know put a move on a guy and and get some... He was an impact throughout all the important minutes of this game, right? Couple pass knockdowns, couple of sacks. Like Willie was everywhere, disrupting everything exactly the way you want him to. I, I didn't see a ton of him getting chipped. I didn't see a ton of, you know, Felix Garangoche, the fullback, staying in to, to help out and find out where's Willie. Uh, but he was still able to, to get off and, and get his. And then, you know, I didn't, I don't remember a ton of Ricky Walker. I remember shouting his name a bunch, making plays on the defensive interior or Jake Thomas, which may have led them to, you know, bring in Miles Fox uh, late of the BC Lions yesterday. So it, it was a fine performance. Um, it wasn't a full strength, the offensive line that they were going up against. I think at some point, Casey Sales, the defensive tackle, had to go in on offensive line for Hamilton just because they got banged up during that game and ineffectiveness and whatever it was. Uh, but it was it was a very solid performance from, from week number one. 
did it, I don't know if it answered any of the questions that Doug Brown and I have about them, but uh, it was it was good to see in week number one, Willie was really able to be himself. Yeah, I think the depth on that defensive line may continue to be an issue, especially if Jackson Jeffcoat can only play spot duty or, or God forbid, not play at all. The other uh, quick reference and comment I wanted to get from you, Derek, was the idea that Brady Oliveira, in his uh, accumulated yards, uh, not only receiving and uh, rushing, did something. I want to say it was in the second quarter. He caught a ball out of the backfield. And so many things have been made of the way Brady has, you know, learned to run. And in week seven, he really had his coming out party last season. And, you know, just running the way Brady runs when Brady Oliveira starts talking in a third person, that's usually a pretty good sign. But in third person, what do you think he would have said about that one? I think it was a 22 yard reception on the backfield. He looked fairly reminiscent of an individual who wore number 33 here for a lot of years. That's Brady Brand football, Brady Oliveira would say. Brady Brand, hashtag Brady Brand. Um, it, I mean, it's it's great. He he does provide, to, to be able to follow up Andrew Harris would be incredibly intimidating, right? To, to follow up a, a legend like that. But, I mean, Andrew Harris was a, was a great runner of the football. He was an incredible catcher of the football, and he was... Not not quite flawless, but flawless. Let's say in in his pass protection generally, to have to be all those things to an offense when you're a young player would be an incredible challenge. And Brady, like you mentioned last season, figured out the run game part of it. He can catch out of the backfield. They don't seem to use him a ton in that compared to other backs. But his pass protection is so terrific as well, and it allows all these other things to happen. And then yeah, so when he does get his chance to. Uh, to roll for 22 yards and, you know, drop the boom on guys. You just, I, it just makes me smile for him. I'm very happy for Brady to be able to, to get these opportunities to go because uh, this is a team that's, I mean, it's, this team will live and die on Kolaris's arm. Right. And so to, for him to be able to get a chance to display all that he can do and to, well, frankly, to be able to do all that he can do is impressive, but to get to show it off and have the crowd just going nuts in his, uh, in his honor is uh, is really nice to see but uh, yeah he's uh, he's got a lot of weapons in his bag I don't care what the cost is. Nick Dembski. Kalaus for Dembski! The five and a touchdown! Dylan Mitchell's going to get one on Winston Rose. Going deep for Mitchell on Rose. Got to the 20 and he's going to walk into the end zone. You know what I've learned about CFL fantasy football is that it makes me hate players. Kamar Jordan, I don't know anything about him, but I hate him now. All right, Derek Taylor, our fantasy league. Well, I shouldn't say our, but 680 CJOB. You've been spearheading these things. How many participants now? Oh, gosh, it was over 600 uh, for the for the broadcast. So that was a real, I was really happy with how that played out. How did you do? Uh, I am good for, I, I, I was just average. I was, I think I'm 300 and something in our, in our league, so. Uh, 607 on entries. Oh, I'm 308. So I'm in the top 49%. Look at me. <laughs> you could Slightly be a kicker average. on some teams in the Canadian football league with an average like I, that. Like my, my only thing was I had Eugene Lewis of the Elks and he caught the 102 yard touchdown and he was my captain. So he gave me 51 points, I think out of my 84. So if, my team oh, so, oh, if that play doesn't happen, 
You are you you are hanging out with me in ten thousand three hundred seventieth in the whole kit and caboodle. I only got fifty points this week, fifty point six to be precise. I guess fifty one yeah. if I'm following my rounding math from grade seven. Because I think that play alone was worth thirty four point four points since he was my captain, right? So yeah. All right, so get in on yeah. the CFL uh, GameZone.CFL.ca. How do you sign up? Oh, yes. Uh, GameZone.CFL.ca. Search up 680 CJOB and you can join the league like that. You can join. It's, um, as I understand it, the, currently the biggest CFL fantasy league going. Really? And then, uh, yeah, that, which is, is pretty cool. All right. Uh, and then uh, if, if not, then you can uh, check out my Twitter at DT on OB because there's a code you can also search by. As with a lot of things, CFL and their stats conversion, there's there's been some troubles along the way. So if you can't get to it by searching 680 CJOB, uh, go to my my Twitter page at DT on OB and you'll uh, you'll find the code there. All right. Anything else we need to talk about before we let you head to Regina? Oh, no. Just uh, just pray for me because I'm I'm going to try to make it the the one stop. I usually do Brandon and Musiman, but I'm trying to make it all the way to Musiman so I can get to that Dairy Queen. Uh, in one piece uh, and be ready for my blizzard lunch. Like I'll have like a blizzard, then I'll have like a fruit blizzard for dessert. That'll be good. I'm Skylar Peters. Welcome into the film room. If a football season is a collection of games and those games are a collection of moments, you'd think it would be hard to point to just one and call it defining. Perhaps that task becomes even harder when you add the context of the team and they're standing in the league to it all at the same time. We all knew where the Winnipeg Blue Bombers stood at the start of the 2022 CFL season. Hungry for their third straight Grey Cup, the odds-on favorite by a wide margin. Off the upright. Through the first three months of the season, only a night with a couple of errant kicks could deter anyone from not thinking that way. The Bombers got a win on Labor Day that seemed so hard to do just a few years ago, and it catapulted them to 12-1, and back home in the Banjo Bowl, facing the Saskatchewan Rough Riders once again. Here we are in the second quarter. Fans at IG Field had already heard the cannon go off three times. The score, 20-7. to Dumps it underneath, it's complete at the 30. 25, Bailey 20. 15, look at the block downfield for Leary Orange, Bailey diving! It looks like he's going to be in the end zone for the touchdown, he is! What a play from Rasheed Bailey! And the Bombers have their fourth touchdown of the game! Unlike the past two times you joined me in the film room, the throw from Zach Caleros didn't indicate this play would be worthy of a feature some nine months later. It's everything that happened after the ball got into Rasheed Bailey's hands in open space. You know, it was one of those plays where you lay it all out on the line for your teammates, you know, and man, when I hit that pylon, you hear it cross screen, and you know it was good. Thanks to blocks right away from Nick Dembski and Dalton Schoen, the first 15 or so of Bailey's 30 yards after the catch went pretty much unabated. But by the 11-yard line, he was forced to within just a couple feet of the boundary. At the four, he switched the ball from his right hand to his left, planted his left foot, and then he got horizontal. Uh, God's been working through me, and um, man, it finally, finally went in tonight. Whether you were one of the 33,234 in IG Field that day or not, what that extension looked like the first time you saw it is probably still visible in your mind right now. It certainly was for the coach. Great yak. We had some good blocking. He used it, set, set some guys up well, got around the edge. Uh, great finish. I don't know. He might have been, I think he might have been at least five yards, you know, seven yards toe in the line, and then that dive and 
just clips the, the top of the cone. For a moment, Rashid Bailey turned into Superman, and even after the game, he still felt like it. It was no way I was about to run out of bounds. Trust me. You know, on that, on that play, man, you know, you just you, you put it all out in the line. And you, you close your eyes and you touch that pylon. And boy, that felt good. On a night where every Bombers pass catcher got their flowers against a depleted Rough Riders secondary, Bailey rose to the top with an 83-yard five-catch performance. But that 34-yard catch and run may have been just 10 or 15 if it wasn't for the help from his fellow receivers. We, we play for each other. We love each other. And on that specific play, man, you can see it. You know, Dalton... You can see um, uh, Brandon O'Leary, you know, on that play, just blocking their blocking they tails off, you know, and they went in. And one of the biggest beneficiaries of that depth is usually the guy giving them the football. Zach Caleros had no problem heaping praise on his pass catcher's post game after his four-touchdown, 273-yard performance. Well, see, I take it very serious. Uh, again, as I say every week, uh, we don't ask them just to be receivers here. That They do a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff in the blocking game for the running game as well, and uh, it's, it's a special group for sure. But perhaps the unsung hero of the game that day was offensive coordinator Buck Pierce, who made nearly no mistakes on the play sheet, as his boss tells us. You know, when you get a team back-to-back, um, they just, you know, they, they start seeing things and <laughs> capitalizing on them for sure. As the teams and players met in the middle of IG Field post-game, Mike O'Shea turned toward the crowd with an animated clap. The fans sure had lots to cheer about on that day, and O'Shea was just as appreciative of them as they were of him. I think we got a couple penalties on Sask because of, because of their crowd noise. And, uh, I mean, you got to respect that. I think, our, you know, once again, our players understand how good our fans are. Banjo Bowl 2022 may very well have been the high point in a season that didn't end the way the Blue Bombers wanted it to last year. And as we prepare to embark on another journey beginning just minutes from now, we accept there will be more highs and lows, just hopefully more of the former than the latter. Cam Poitras joining us now. The sound, the voice of sports on 680 CJOB, Monday through Friday, 625, 725, 825, 925, and Jets at noon with Jim Toth on 680 CJOB. Cam, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 1-0 as they try to go every week. But I want to ask you some things right off the cuff here about the Bombers and a couple of things around the Canadian Football League. Okay, we haven't rehearsed this. You don't have a script in front of you. I haven't given you any hints Uh-oh. as to what's going nervous. on here. So let's do this <laughs> rapid fire. Okay. Winnipeg Blue Bombers and that white stripe on the helmet. Go. Uh, yeah, like it. Is there a better uniform in the Canadian Football League than the Blue Bombers? Absolutely not. Their home blues, right? Uh, their home blues are the nicest. It's not even. It's not even close. Uh, no coincidence that things started to switch when they went back to just the plain old W. I I happen to love football logos where it's like simplicity like that. Um, and then when they went back to the baby blues, we started to see them creep back on the banjo bowl game at home. And then it's like, well, come on, let's go back. I, I grew up with the sort of LA, uh, I wouldn't even say LA, the, uh, the St. Louis, Louis St. Louis Rams, uh, <laughs> facsimile that they were played with, with the, with the lightning bolt, which I'm not sure was anything to do with the bomber. Uh, but I grew up with that. That's sort of the Milt Stiegel era of the Winnipeg blue bombers, but things are better now. Yeah. Back in the 60s, I think they had a lightning bolt on their helmet for a little while. So they yeah. were trying to do a call back there. But 
I'll be honest, I detested that logo. Calgary <laughs> Stampeders, just yes. around 17,000, just over 17,000 at McMahon Stadium. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, on the other hand, led the league in attendance last year, over 29,000 on opening night, but 17,000 at McMahon, that's sparse. I, I think the the worst thing that I found about that was that the Montreal Alouettes, in their home opener, outdrew the Calgary Stampeders by almost 3,000 fans comparing McMahon to Molson Percival Stadium that's not good um they well I mean I I know the Calgary market pretty well I lived there for three and a half years very very fickle um I think that uh the younger generation there and it has nothing to do with winning because the Calgary Stampeders have been a pretty good team over the last 15 years they're really losing to the NFL in Calgary big time. Um, the young guys are not as engaged in the in the CFL as in past previous years. When I would go to games, uh, and this is completely not the case here in Winnipeg, when I was there, and this was, uh, you know, goodness, a number of years ago, um, when I was when I was doing stats for the Stampeders and stuff like that, the situ- it was a very uh, older demographic that was going to the games consistently. So what I'm assuming is happening right now is that older generation is sort of aging out. Maybe he doesn't want to go down, uh, down Crowchild trail anymore to go see the games. He'd rather just sit at home. Uh, there's always going to be the diehards, but I, I saw a, a demographic that even at the time they were talking about was, was, was starting to become concerning for the Calgary Stampeders. Um, it seems like that hasn't improved. I will say McMahon Stadium is the number one issue there. The fact that you have these beautiful stadiums all across the league. Um, you know, Commonwealth is too big. There's no doubt about that. Um, but um, it, it's, it's a much nicer place to watch a football game than, than McMahon is with... I mean, it's still got the, the the bench seating and stuff like that. Anyways, that's the number one issue there. That's what's keeping people away. Um, but when you go to the bomber games here, it's 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 all age groups and stuff like that. The bombers have done a really great job with that. It's it's stadium number one issue in Calgary. The fans will come back, but McMahon they have to give people a reason to want to go to a football game instead of just watching it at home. The numbers are still good for the stamps on TV. I have to mention that too as well. Are you concerned at all about the quality of the rest of the teams in the league? You've got one team that yeah. I know it's only one week, so we've got to uh, <laughs> keep yeah. it on the rails here. But based on what we saw in that first week, you know, you've got one very good te- football team and then seven other teams this past week that did not did not look very good. And we haven't seen the Grey Cup champs yet. Yeah, Hamilton was not very good in that game whatsoever. I mean, uh, three freak plays that you will not see over the rest of the season got them back into it. Just look at the stat line, everybody. It it was a it was an absolute blowout, an absolute blowout. The Bombers kicked the snot out of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It looked a lot closer than it actually was. Um, I don't know, Edmonton. I, Derek's been pretty high. He thinks they're going to be the most improved team. I, I think we got to wait and see if that's going to be the case. They have to be able to win at home to do anything here, and they can't figure it out. And that was a winnable game against Saskatchewan. So that's an issue there. BC, Vernon Adams Jr. has said, I've been so high on him for so many years in BC, but he's never really taken the reins and gone with it. I think he's got a great receiving core that he can perhaps get it, take advantage of and may, might have his best year. But BC still doesn't scare me like they did with Nathan Rourke uh, at, at Pivot there. Um, the Stampeders, is this the year they finally take a step back? Everyone's been waiting for that to come. It could be this year. They've they've lost, I think, of the last six six years. I think they've only won two of their opening games. So this isn't something new for them to lose their opening season game. So we'll wait and see what happens. Again, early on, early on, early on. Um, Montreal, 
uh, Ottawa. We'll see when when Jeremiah Mazzoli gets back from injury. He's going to miss, I think, at least next week. And then Toronto. I'm I I'm not excited about them either. Uh, and I was excited about Hamilton. And I understand it's one game, but and it might have been the Bombers had too good of coverage. Uh, but Bo Levi Mitchell missed a lot of throws in that game. He missed a lot of throws, and maybe it was because the Bombers, that's where they forced him to put it. I don't know. I think he had some. I, I used to, again, to go back to Calgary, I used to watch Bo Levi make those throws every single time, and he didn't and he didn't on Friday. So Ad that's nauseum. Concerning. Oh, it, sickening. Yeah, it was disgusting, especially when you were on the other <laughs> yes. side of it because he was just so good. And there were open receivers he could have hit and he missed. Yeah, so you have to wonder, at least I wonder, I'm yeah. not going to tell you what you have to think, but for me, I wonder if just Bo Levi Mitchell, maybe his ship has sailed. And and I want to see Hamilton succeed. I want to see them in that Grey Cup game in their home stadium because, yeah. you know, they're, they're the team in the East that, in my my opinion has done the best marketing has done the best job of holding on and growing yep. their fan base they really are sort of like a western canadian team totally. in terms of the grit in terms of the fan base and and the idea that that cfl is the number one game in town for them they're they're much like regina to a great extent yeah and it's it's sort of something that polarizes them against toronto and sort of a rivalry right um it's like this is our team you know okay we still there's still the leafs and the blue jays uh, and uh, the Raptors, and let's not pretend people from Hamilton are not fans of, of those three teams, but when it comes to football in the CFL, Hamilton has its own little little piece against against Toronto, I mean, you know, and the Argonauts, we don't need to get into that. That's a whole entire situation. Everybody knows that. Um, but it's it's something that's like, hey, this is, this is ours. This is Hamilton. Hamilton is very similar to Winnipeg in so many ways. Um, people that I've met from Hamilton, I've always liked. I've connected with them automatically because they're sort of like Winnipeggers. In, in, in a lot of ways, very, very similar mentalities, self-deprecating pessimism, but at the same time, don't talk about my town. I'm the only one allowed to talk about my town. That's very much Hamilton. That's very right. much Winnipeg. Too. Staunch loyalty at the same time. Yes. Can badmouth it, talk it down with the best of them. But as you say, I can make fun of my brother, but you can't. Exactly. It's like you can say stuff about my family. Uh, but you can't, you can't, like, I can say the stuff about my family all you want, but you can't. They, you, don't, you haven't earned the right. Friday night in Saskatchewan. You know, this feels like an odd matchup for week two. Either it should be a week one matchup or just wait until after Labor Day, after the Banjo Bowl for a game that means something in terms of the standings as we head toward the playoffs. But we'll take it anytime Winnipeg and Saskatchewan get together. I know the CFL, I know the that the TV uh, gurus and gods are salivating because that means there'll be lots of eyes on this game. And, and the Blue Bombers go into Saskatchewan, obviously decided favorites. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's, it, it'll end up over a touchdown by, by the way it went. And based on what you saw from the teams in the first week, I, I think it absolutely should be. Winnipeg was rolling up points. And, man, Saskatchewan was, was stuck in the mud against the Edmonton Elks. Their, their defense was as advertised in that game, in my mind. I, don't, I never expect to see... Uh, a defense shut down an offense first and goal from the one yard line because someone should put a finger offside, right? No, they'll get three more chances at it or something strange is going to happen. But to be able to turn away the Elks first and goal from the one was incredibly impressive, be it anticipation, be it just 
want to. It was it was great. Um, Edmonton with Taylor Cornelius at quarterback isn't the isn't the high flying attack that it should be. Apart from the one hundred two yard touchdown, they were good for four yards an attempt on the rest of them. So the the defense was was solid and you know showed what it had to in week number one. The offense is always going to have been my concern for the Riders and Trevor Harris, 20 of 33 for 179 with just a bizarre interception in his own own end, deep in his own end in that game was, oh, okay, well, you're not, you guys aren't quite there yet. And oh, you didn't really run the football until the game was, you know, until you were running out the clock. I, I am not in any way, who was the leading receiver in that game? Samuel Emelis with three catches for 51. Uh, you could say they spread the ball around, but when Sean Bain is getting six yards a catch or, and three yards an attempt, uh, that's cool. Spread spread it around under four yards. That's great because uh, Alden Darby's going to come up and plow you into the dirt, right? The, the offense didn't make me think they're to be feared yet, uh, but the defense for the Riders was showed off some some pretty impressive stuff. So Trevor Harris taking over the controls uh, for Saskatchewan, as you mentioned, less than impressive. And, and we'll get into the fantasy side of it uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But I had him as my captain and I got a whopping mm. 17.8 points because I figured that, you know, if Saskatchewan was going to do anything, I, I went the, I went with the the idea that if the Bombers won and Saskatchewan lost, I would be happy in the standings. I figured if Saskatchewan ends up winning, at least I can take yep. some solace, some comfort in Trevor Harris helping me at least uh, show up in our uh, CFL uh, fantasy. Yeah, he didn't do that. So uh, Saskatchewan's going to need a lot more from number seven this week uh, in order to even make this game close in my mind. Well, and will they be able to get it right? Because the final play of the game they have, what, eight seconds to burn off the clock. They send Harris on a rollout, and he's just going to throw the ball as high up in the air and as far out of bounds as he can to kill off the rest of the clock. Fine, a totally fine play, but he got plowed into the turf and got up holding his hip or his lower back, and the reports afterward were he suffered a hip pointer on that play. Really? In order to kill six seconds, you got hmm. your, your number one by far best quarterback killed? Oh, boy. Oh, and it's a short week, and you have two days less rest than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who have beaten you every time they've played since 2019. Well, since late in 2019. Hmm. Or the playoffs. I guess the playoffs in 2019. Saskatchewan would have won the final regular season game there. Really? Ugh. That's that's not great if you're Sask in week number two because uh, as much as there's, there's hope for their backup quarterbacks, and we saw some stuff in the preseason in the game against Winnipeg, it's it's Trevor or die in, in my mind. So, to, to have him get hip-pointered, as we're making <laughs> that word in this one, yep. uh, was not uh, was not encouraging if I'm a Ryder fan. And uh, as I'm not a Ryder fan, I'm totally fine with it happening. Hashtag hip-pointered. We're going to have to get that trending at some point, somehow, some way, Derek Taylor. How refreshing was it, and do you think it is, the impact? I know the Bombers don't need this the way they did when they started this rebuild, this build towards this dynasty to becoming you know, the preeminent... Uh, team in the Canadian Football League, uh, Justin Medlock was so automatic and helped the Blue Bombers score points on drives that, you know, stalled at the 40 or stalled at the 42, but they got points, critical points that kept them in games. 
how was it to see, how great was it to see on Friday night, Sergio Castillo coming out and just being plain and simply perfect, automatic, and not even having to think or talk about that part of the game. What impact do you think that has on the club overall? Yeah, I, I think the the last thing you mentioned there, not having to talk about it, is is an incredible benefit, right? Like he four for four on field goals, four for four on on converts. He'd probably like to have fewer field goal attempts and more touchdowns, but we'll take what we get. And yeah, you don't have to think about it. Hey, Serge is going to go out there and things will go well. Okay, cool, we're done. If you know when he does miss some, he hits. 88% or 92%, whatever his number will be this year. Okay, well, we'll deal with that because the rest of it is just smooth as can be. We don't have to worry. No one has to you know, get real prepared to prevent a defensive two-point convert when if he misses a convert and they run it back 130 yards to, to the house, right? Everything is just relaxed and we can trust him and we know we can trust him from longer distances too. So that takes it just I feel like that just takes a, a lot of weight off. And especially, I mean for fans as well. Did we have any idea what was going to happen in those playoff games when they sent out Mark Leggio to place kick? No, not really. It it got a little tense and then ultimately the big block in the Grey Cup, which to me you don't put on the kicker, but it just kind of put a cap on what was a, a frustrating season. Doug Brown is is my favorite in those. He's like, it, DT, it's one job. It's not three jobs. It's not kickoff punting and, and place kicking. It's one job. And just do it and go back to the bench. Okay. Yeah. Just They just don't want to think about it. Just want it to happen, have it be good, and let's move on to the other stuff. So that was a real relief. And there's going to be a point where Sergio crushes one to win a game, and we all really celebrate him. But for now, we're just silently nodding and appreciating his greatness and and what it was in week number one. Okay, so I've got to clarify this because I was certain on his first time, because this is Castillo's third time around with the Blue Bombers. I was sure the first time around he was Sergio. Is he Sergio? Are we going with Sergio? Is this locked in? Oh, I've only known it to be Sergio. Okay, perfect. Okay, that's fine because uh, I may have been saying it wrong all this time. I will not say it incorrectly henceforth. And uh, what I don't... if you make it like he's a like he's the lead in like a, a movie, a Hallmark movie based on a romance novel? Sergio, <laughs> just a little roll the G. Say it really breathy, Sergio. I think there might need to be a, a little bit of a of a sound effect whenever you use his name and whenever we talk about him in this context. <laughs> Cal Milroy, if like you can that. help us with that, we'd be very appreciative. Sergio. And then I don't know if we have enough material to make this a regular segment on the podcast, but I'd like to pull down the cone of silence here. Just you and I, Derek Taylor. And I just want to ask you, do you really believe that in that Grey Cup game, that kick that was quote-unquote blocked, the kick from, oh, God, Mark, Mark Leggio. Leggio. How quickly we forget that kick from Mark Leggio. That was not blocked. He kicked it into the hand of a Toronto defender. I, I'm sure you've watched that play more often than I have. What's the official verdict on that? All, all I can go with on the coach's show, Mike O'Shea said, "Oh no, he's like, Mike O'Shea said I think it was good." I'm like, okay, mm. I, I, I have, I have no opinion at the time. All I know is it was in fact, 100 percent fact, it was blocked. Um, but people, people who watch it went, "Oh, didn't he hit that really far to his left?" And mm. I don't know, I don't know what the wind situation was. If that's where he was aiming, if that's just a, a thing with the sky cable camera, whatever that was, but. 
people will swear it was going to be missed, but Mike O'Shea said on the coach's show, no, it, it would have been good. There's no reason to think it would have been wide. So I just kind of I just kind of roll with with that. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coach's Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Greg Mackling on behalf of Derek Taylor, Cameron Poitras and Skylar Peters, thank you for spending some time with us.